gotta be from out of town So hard with my girls on around me It's definitely not a Nashville party Cause all I see is the letter And a Britney song with us So I put my hands up to play my song The butterflies fly away Not in my head like yeah Moving my hips like yeah Got my hands up to play my song You know I'm gonna be okay Yeah It's a party in the USA Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. We've seen a slight jump in our coronavirus cases in Ontario this week, which is a reminder that we can't let our guard down on coronavirus quite yet, especially with stage three of reopening within our grasp. Personally, I have really just fallen into the habit of wearing a mask whenever I'm in any public space, but some remain opposed, which has me wondering why. So that's the question this week on the Facebook page. So please jump on over to What She Said Talk on Facebook and share your thoughts on mask wearing with us. But for now, stick with me for another round of great interviews today. There is perhaps no time in a woman's life that is less understood and less talked about than menopause. With symptoms that can last anywhere from five to 10 years, it's time we bring the hot flashes, not to mention a host of other side effects, into the open. And not just with each other, but with our families. Navigating menopause herself, Jackie Gillard recently tackled this topic in the Washington Post in an article called Why Everyone Needs to Know More About Menopause, Especially Now. Disney is helping to lift all our spirits with the early release of Hamilton on Disney+, and Anne Brody joins us to discuss Lin-Manuel Miranda's masterpiece, as well as reviews of Trigonometry, John Lewis' Good Trouble, Blinded, and How to Forage, on CBC Gem, since many of us are in touch with our inner gardeners right now. Hearts have been breaking across the country as the impact of COVID on seniors is laid bare. Aside from the virus having devastating effects, the impact of loneliness is huge. That's why you'll absolutely love my interview with founder of Chatting to Wellness, Mahad Shazad, who shares the heartwarming story of how he started this charity to combat loneliness amongst seniors pre-COVID and how it's grown exponentially since. Trust me, this is a story you need to hear this week. Those with the travel bug might be surprised to hear that Jamaica is open for business. Angela Bennett joins me to share the new protocols in place to keep tourists and locals safe during the pandemic. She also shares what you absolutely must see, do, and experience when you get there. Parents and teens butting heads is a classic theme that probably dates back to the time of cavemen, but it doesn't have to be that way. Allie Payne recently came to my attention when she posted a short video on TikTok of all places for parents to know three things that teens wish their parents knew about them. The video went viral, not just with parents, but with teenagers. Allie joins me to share how parents and teens can create connection on a much deeper level. Finally, Avi Magdison is a black trans man who has been happily in love with his partner Lainey for 19 years. They are the proud parents of two adult daughters and two black sons who join their family through public adoption. Their blended multiracial family is often chaotic, but always a safe haven. Avi recently had his incredible story highlighted in the Huffington Post, and he joins me to share some of it with us. I'm so happy you've joined me today. Let's jump into what she said right now on 105.9 The Region. Do my head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Jackie Gillard is a freelance journalist and content creator living near Toronto with her husband, daughter, and three cats. She has a particular interest in writing about intersectional feminist issues and has bylines with Washington Post, Money Sense, CBC, Broadview, Huffington Post, Canada, Parents, and Today's Parent. Today, though, we're jumping into a topic that I feel quite strongly about, and not in a good way, menopause. Welcome to the show, Jackie. Thanks, Candice. Thanks for having me. So you recently wrote a post in the Washington, uh, wrote an article, I should say, in the Washington Post about um, menopause and you know I read it with keen interest because you know I, as I'm sitting here having a hot flash talking to you <laughs> I couldn't help but 
you know, nod my head through the whole thing because we're just not talking about this massive part of women's lives. Yeah. Um, it's been a, a roller coaster for me as well because I am also going through menopause. Um, and I, I found a lot of the information pertained to, you know, treating hot flashes or here is some hormone replacement therapy or HRT as it's known, and this will fix you all up. But in particular, people were not discussing a lot of the sexual symptoms of menopause. And obviously, you know, some people are more reserved and, and understandably, but you know, until we can talk about these kinds of things as a society, it feels like, first of all, nobody's going to know. I had no idea when some of them happened to me and they're, they're not going to be addressed. And so I think it's really important that, you know, we start at grassroots, like my article said, and talk to our, our own families and have them educate themselves, you know, our partners, our husbands, our boyfriends, um, and even our kids. There's no reason why kids shouldn't learn about what their bodies are going to do in the future. We teach them about puberty, as you and I discussed, and no, they should know about the other end of it as well. Oh, well, mine are getting a ringside seat to the, you know, the daily <laughs> emotions. And, you know, it's a double whammy in this house because I've got two teenagers. They're already going through their stuff. And then I'm going through menopause. And that is actually what happens to a lot of women, I find, is that, you know, their teens and their menopause happen at the same time. It's sort of this powder keg in the house yeah. as as hormones for sure and you know one of the doctors i spoke to for the article raised an interesting point that in the past maybe people didn't talk about it so much because by the time women were going through menopause their kids were all grown up because women obviously in you know history they had children a lot sooner than they do now and I'm in the same boat in fact my daughter's younger than yours she's 12 and so there's this constant you know battle of hormones going on in our house and you know, I think that our curriculums in particular are focusing on what's happening to the kids, but maybe they need to understand what's happening to their parents as well. That's an excellent point. So was, so you did a lot of research for this article, obviously. What were some of the things you found that actually surprised you? Um, I was very surprised about the health risks. Um, you know, I, I naively, and also because my doctor never really discussed them with me. And I think speaking to a number of doctors and people about menopause for this article, um, I had no idea that certain health risks increased because of menopause itself. Not just, you know, you have the age portion where your health risks or, you know, chance of having health problems increases. But when you have that lowered um, estrogen in your body, it can cause things, um, you know, your bone problems. For example, osteoporosis is a big thing for women in midlife and older. Um, there's a, an increased risk of, of heart conditions and heart disease. And so these sort of things sort of made me a little bit like, oh, you know, I'm a kind of scary thing, especially because as I'm sure you've under, uh, undergone as well, your metabolism slows down and you gain weight um, because of menopause. And so that is exacerbating these health risks on top of that. So, you know, that was one of the big things. The, another thing was the whole HRT. Um, should we take it? Should we not take it? And there are so many studies out there. A lot of them are actually paid for by pharmaceutical companies that manufacture HRT. Some of them say it's not a problem. Some of them say it's a big problem. And so it's really hard to know who to trust. Right. You have to wade through a lot of information, it seems, to, to find solutions. You know, um, prior to this, this interview, you and I were talking, I said I posted something on my Facebook page about, you know, getting through hot flashes. And I, you know, I had over 140 different responses and they were all different of how to deal with this. And it seems like there's just not a credible place to go to get the answers we're looking for, uh, for what is really a very trying time in our life. So did you find any alternative treatments that sort of, you know, blew your mind a little bit? The article wasn't specific to treatments. It was um, 
angled uh, towards why partners and kids and basically everyone who knows someone who's going through menopause should know more about menopause. But through the course of the research, I did come across some interesting ones, as I was telling you before. Um, there's a company in California, for example, that makes vaginal suppositories out of CBD that are um, supposed to help with dryness and painful sex and vaginal walls thinning. And so, you know, I, they offered to send me some, I don't know, give it a try if, if it can make it here to Canada. But, um, you know, a lot of the, the treatments are very symptom specific. And so, you know, hot flashes, like you say, there's hundreds of different suggestions. I think ultimately women are, are, or people who experience menopause, um, they're, they're forced into trial and error and there's no sort of hub of the best information, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, did you come across any like in your research of places women can turn to for support, for answers, uh, maybe support groups even? I did not. The support groups, um, there are a lot of sites that I think are good sites for information. Um, there's actually a society in the U.S. for menopause. It's, it's a society of um, doctors and healthcare practitioners. Oddly enough, I came across a website for um, a Cleveland clinic that had probably what I found to be the most easily understood information about all the possible symptoms that you can experience with menopause and, you know, sort of a, a layman's term scientific explanation of what's going on in your body. But there wasn't sort of like the catch all menopause site that I came across. Again, I wasn't particularly looking for support groups or things like that, but there are a lot of books out there. I didn't read all of these books. I did interview one woman, a doctor who wrote a book that sounded very positive. Um, you know, it's hard to stay positive about something that's causing a lot of negative effects on your body. But, um, you know, I, I just think that some women may not know where to turn and may not know where to look or I do research for a living as a writer. And so I'm fairly adept at finding what I want to know, but not everybody is like that. Not everybody has the time or the know-how. And also I think, you know, some of us are so busy, you know, with our lives that we're not making the connections between maybe a reaction we had being associated with menopause or our hormones, you know, or, for myself, you know, I was having 20 to 30 hot flashes a day. Uh, I was just, you know, working to just get through that part of it <laughs> and not really focusing on the other things that it may be uh, doing to me. So it's a bigger topic that we definitely need to uh, talk about more. Yeah, de depression, for example, which was um, a part of the angle of the, the article, um, you know, people who experience depression or anxiety prior to menopause are at a much higher risk of experiencing it because of menopause as well. And, you know, so it's sort of like if you're already experiencing it and then menopause comes along, it exacerbates it and, and makes it worse. And you might not correlate the two and just think, oh, maybe my medication's not working or, you know, I'm getting worse or whatever the case might be and not even consult your doctor. So, you know, it's important to, to have good information for sure. I agree. So we're going to put the link up in this video that we're going to put out on social. Uh, but if people are listening, they can find it. Uh, they can just Google Jackie Gillard, Washington Post, and your article is going to come up. But if people want to find you on social media, because you write a lot of great things, you're very outspoken, uh, especially when it comes to Black Lives Matter. And I want to draw attention to that because you have, you're a wealth of information. So where can people find you um, on social? Um, I'm on Twitter, obviously. Um, just my name, Jackie L. Gillard, G-I-L-L-A-R-D. And no spaces, no underscores or anything. And it's the same on Instagram. So I have a Facebook page where I generally share 
um, most of the stuff that I write as well. And it's just Jackie Gillard content creator. Okay. So those are the three places where people can find my work and other things that I share. Wonderful. We'll put that all up on the video. And uh, thanks so Thank much you. for joining me today, Jackie. Thanks a lot, Candace. It was great to be here. Stay cool. Baby, how you feeling? Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody. And Anne, it looks like Disney is delivering a little summer treat for us. It's incredible. Hamilton, the Tony and Pulitzer Prize winning musical, which tells the founding father's story of the U.S. and their, their creation of the, of the uh, Constitution and basically why it happened, what happened after, etc. All played by black actors. So it, a completely different spin on things. Plus, there's a lot of modern references. Anyway, it's hugely successful. It's been going since 2000, before, well before 2016. It's incredibly iconic, too. It's become a cultural uh, touchstone. So, yes, Disney's doing us a big favor. Instead of releasing it, it more than a year down the road, they're letting us watch it at home as of today. So I think it's a great treat. Lin-Manuel Miranda is um, a genius. He wrote all the music for it. He plays Alexander Hamilton. Um, David Diggs, who's just sensational, plays Thomas Jefferson. The music covers hip-hop, R&B, Broadway tunes, and soul music. It's uh, musically, it's just a gas, but... I kind of think it's a lesser experience and in the theater, obviously, but hey, we'll work with it. Well, that's right. We have to do the best with what we've got right now, considering the circumstances. And I personally know a lot of people who had some tickets to see Hamilton this summer and sadly can't go. So they'll be at least, you know, pleased they can watch it on TV. So what else can we not miss? Trigonometry, which is on the CBC. It's a BBC show about a young black couple living in London. Uh, She's a restaurateur, he's a paramedic. So they're not making enough money to really enjoy their lives in London. London's so expensive, so they decide to take a border. They don't really want to, but they do. And they get a a woman from France who was an Olympic synchronized swim champion, whose career was ended when she got a head injury underwater. It's really quite terrifying to watch it. So she comes in and, oh my God, they just get along so well. They have such great chemistry. And they go through various situations, you know, daily life situations and extraordinary situations, and they become closer and closer. And you know where it's going. So the next one that I thought that, you, you know, you send me the trailers every week, and I watched this one with fascination, is the documentary about John Lewis, who is just an incredible... Uh, very inspiring man. What did you think of that documentary? Oh, God, I loved it so much. He died last year, of course, Congressman John Lewis, but um, he left an incredible legacy. He was all about nonviolence. He was one of those guys sitting in white-only restaurants back in the 50s and 60s who got beaten up all the time. I think he was arrested 40 times and beaten many, many times. He was also on that bridge in Selma, Alabama, and got beaten back by the police. Anyway, it didn't harden his heart. He's an incredibly compassionate person and someone to be treasured and remembered. And I hope they put him on a bill down there. Uh, and of course, there's all kinds of great interviews with people like Bill Clinton, Hillary, um, AO, ACO, AOC, and well worth watching, not just for the educational benefit of it, but just to make your heart feel good. Well, maybe they can put up a statue of John Lewis when they're replacing all those Confederate monuments, right? That'd be awesome. Awesome. Blinded from Sunset. uh, (laughs) Sunset. Sundance Now. And it is a series, a drama series set in a high-stakes financial world in uh, Stockholm, Sweden. So Julia Ragnason plays B, and she's a financial reporter. 
she's getting wind that one of the major banks there is uh, cooking the books because there's, she learns that they stand to lose 10 figures. So they're covering it up. On top of that, she's sleeping with the president of the bank. So, you know, it's. And did I, did I see that this is based on a true story? I, I don't know. It's based on a novel. Ah, no. that's why I was uh, misunderstanding yeah, yeah. it. Um, so she has an anonymous tipster and all kinds of cool things happen. But she is fired for becoming too curious because her boss at the newspaper is friends with this bank president. So it's all very intertwined and like snakes all coiling up together. Really exciting. And it gets dang dangerous when she's going to blow the whistle. Okay. So we just got a, a few seconds left here. You got one more you wanted to highlight and that's forage. John, CBC Gem, it's tremendous. Um, Chef Sean Adler, who I think he has six restaurants, is an Ashinaabe, uh chef, and he takes us out to the woods to forage for things like uh, dandelion, um, uh, apples, you know, wild apples that you find out there. They have nuanced flavor and they're totally organic. Um, watercress by the river. It's absolutely fascinating. And he has three rules for foraging, and they are. Take a guided, uh, a guided, a guide, a knowledge guide. Don't over harvest. And um, oh, what's a third one? Get permission to be on the land. Smart. <laughs> yes. You know. Yeah. I, you know what? I actually watched that trailer. I thought, ah, this is not going to be that great. But actually, I was quite fascinated. So I will actually be seeking that one out. So for all of these and more, you can find them on whatshesaidtalk.com. Uh, and we'll have the video of this up this week. Thank you so much for joining me today, Anne. You're welcome, Candace. See you soon. This is a story we all need this week. Chatting to Wellness is a nonprofit organization that combats senior isolation through youth companionship. They believe in the therapeutic properties of a nice chat on one's mental health and mood and provide one-on-one -on -one chatting sessions between seniors and volunteers, allowing them an outlet to have a genuine conversation about whatever may be on their mind or going on in life. Since COVID-19, Chatting to Wellness has transitioned to providing online, over-the-phone chatting sessions with seniors to help combat the exasperated isolation and loneliness among seniors at a time like this. Joining me now is Maha Chazad, president of Chatting to Wellness. Thank you for joining me, Maha. This one, this just got me in the feels. I just love this story so much. So tell me, you know, you started this, so what inspired it and, and when did you start it? Yeah, sure. So... Chatting to Wellness, uh, the idea really came to me back in 2017. Uh, it was the summer of my first year at university. I was 18 at the time, and I took a trip back home to Pakistan in South Asia to visit my grandparents. And if you don't know anything about South Asia, how it typically works there is that families will live in these big homes together. And so my grandparents were living with my uncle, my other uncle, their wives, their kids, all their families. But even then, they were still very isolated and alone. And I said, you know, when I came back here later that summer, I said, if that's the case back home, such a family-oriented culture, What's it like over here? And so I looked into it and I found that there's a huge amount of isolation, loneliness, and abandonment in retirement residences in North America. And this was coupled by an alarmingly high suicide rate, almost three to four times that much of seniors than of youth, which is crazy because when we think about mental health, we think about youth first and foremost because of all the programs and services and announcements and, and, and all this awareness, which is awesome and I'm really happy it's there. But I saw that you know none of that was available for seniors who are in arguably a worse situation. And so me, you know, being the 18-year-old business student at the time, I wasn't a therapist or a doctor, so I'm still not. Um, I said, what can I do? I still wanted to do something and create something for the seniors in this space. So what started off as me and a couple of my friends just visiting retirement residences, speaking with the seniors there in person, providing friendship and companionship, scaled to what is now quite a bit more than that. I can give you some more details on where we are now, but you know, that's where it came from was my grandparents. And it started off with me and a couple of friends just visiting some retirement residences. So let's talk about where you are now, exactly. So uh, coast to coast, Ontario. 
Yeah. So before COVID-19, we were uh, active across Southern Ontario, numerous cities. We're visiting retirement residences every weekend in person. And we had over 30 volunteers doing this. We're providing over 300 chatting sessions every single month. Early 2020, we surpassed 3,000 cumulative chatting sessions and we're growing exponentially since. But when COVID hit, we had to pause. And what looked like us having to stop for quite some time, especially with senior care, even when regular people, you know, or sorry, regular, you know, society goes on, senior care is still, you know, behind for safety reasons. We thought we we're gonna have to stop for, for the rest of the year and so on and so forth. But a couple of days later, we came up with the idea of let's do, let's go online. And so we transitioned to phone chats. Um, we call online chatting sessions. And all of a sudden, we went from being available once uh, in a week, Saturday mornings, 9 to 12 to some residences uh, in Southern Ontario to any senior over the age of 50 in a home or not, you know, living on their own, living with family, doesn't matter. Anyone over the age of 50, coast to coast, across all of Canada, um, multiple days, uh, every single weekday, uh, 6 to 9 p.m. Um, and, and we're regularly expanding that. So we're available way more than we ever were before. We scaled from 30 volunteers to just over 620 now. Um, and, and we've been featured in a ton of media like CBC, Huffington Post, Global News, Toronto Sun, uh, Indigo, Yelp, so on and so forth. Wow. That, this is absolutely amazing. I love this. So, so I, are you getting a lot of younger high school students who, you know, who are chasing those volunteer hours uh, joining you now? You know, what's funny is we, we do have more high school students, but the majority of the people that we see are people in university. Um, 90, 95% of the people are probably healthcare students who are interested in senior care, which is geriatrics and healthcare and mental health. A lot of university students, and even, it's funny, we actually had a, a handful of seniors reach out who are like 60 or 70, who we thought wanted a chatting session, but they said, no, I want to talk with other seniors. I want to help them out. So we're seeing a, a huge demographic uh, come forth, but a lot of it is the university and college students. Okay. So I think, honestly, I think people are going to be listening to this today and they're going to want to run and, and sign <laughs> up and join this because how can you not? I mean, what we know now of what's happening in these homes since COVID, um, it's hard not to feel for these people who are so isolated and lonely. So where do people go if they want to sign up and they want to, to join you in this? Yeah. So anyone can visit our website at www.chattingtowellness.ca. Uh, if you're interested in helping out, it's, you know, same address, chattingtwellness.ca forward slash help. Um, and there you can see a variety of activities uh, and opportunities to, to get involved. As we have over 620 registers for our regular chatting sessions, we don't have that many seniors or, or chatting sessions happening. Um, so we are moving people over to our ambassador program as well, our Connect Being Connected project, which are all ways to continue in supporting in what we do, just in a different outlet than is the phone chats until we catch up to that. Um, our biggest thing right now is, is reaching more seniors. So if people want to join our ambassador program, which is doing regular activities every single month, um, to, to do that at scale, that's a very easy way to do so. Or if you have grandparents and, and family and friends, check in on them. We're you know in the works of a check on your grandparent uh, mini campaign going on where we're going to, you know, we're going to challenge people to call your grandma, call your grandpa, see how they're doing and see, you know, is that the only call they have all day? Well, maybe they need to sign up for Chinese Wellness, or maybe you need to call them more so. So we really encourage people to do, uh, you know, help out in those ways as well. Okay, incredible. Thank you so much for joining me. I absolutely love this program. I can't wait to get the word out about it. Um, and you're inspiring. Thank you. Thank you very much. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Dreaming continues on what she said, and today I am joined by Angela Bennett from Visit Jamaica. Welcome to the show, Angela. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. It's good to be here with you. So I have to disclose to people who are listening right now that I have been to Jamaica 13 times, so it's going to be hard for me to shut up about this island because <laughs> it's clearly a favorite for me. It is. After 13 times, you are truly an official Jamaican specialist. I, I think I'm called Janadian now. Janadian, yeah. <laughs> I like that. 
<laughs> so let's just quickly ju ju jump in on your, um, your reopening because uh, it might surprise people to know that you are open for business. Yes, we are. You know, on uh, June 15th, we open our borders for international travel. Uh, for Canadian partners or U.S. partners or European partners will come later on in, in the year. But we are open for business. Um, it is a controlled opening. So we're not fully open with all the, the capacity that we have and the attractions. But we do have something to offer that makes for a perfect getaway. Okay, so let's talk about why it is such a bucket list destination for people. Oh, sure. You know, Jamaica offers so much for, for a wide uh, variety of, of travelers. Whether you're looking for an adventure or you're looking for just a romantic getaway for two or a solo vacation, it, it, the, the, the island lends itself for all this and so much more. Well, once so, you've been, it's, it's hard to, it, you know, you, you just, you understand why you need to go back. And from the time Absolutely. you land, every interaction is so welcoming and warm it um, it, that it, it is like coming home. That's right. You know, once you, you go to Jamaica, you fall in love and you cannot unlove us anymore. You just keep <laughs> coming back. <laughs> but but so let's know, talk about some of the things people can do then. So, you know, we've talked, yeah. we touched a little bit on adventure. Sure. What about family travel? Oh, this is perfect. Uh, a perfect place to be because we are, first of all, a, a short flight away. We're three hours away from, from Canada. And, you know, for a family with children, there are so many um, first hotel offerings that offers kids adventure, you know, soft adventure for families that everybody can participate in. Um, all the attractions as well are family friendly, kids friendly. You, you, there's no height restrictions or you can change what you want to do. So, for example, the attractions like uh, Chaka Adventure. You can go out for the entire day with a family, do zip lining, uh, river tubing, uh, horseback riding, and this can all be, be entertained uh, for a family vacation or even in the hotel. There are so many activities for the children. Um, some properties have um, water slides, water parks, you know, some of our larger properties. They have a huge water slide. You just leave the kids there and pick them yeah, up. Yeah, well, when I mean, come, which comes to mind to me are uh, yeah. the beaches resort and there's beaches a jewel resort. resort. Yes, and and the jewel resort. Those have amazing water slides. The Royalton Resorts also has a massive water slide in their white sand property. So there is, and and even for beaches, they have the Sesame Street characters still at the hotel that welcomes you. So any age group for the children and, and it's important because you have that age where you have the tweens, you know, and you don't know what to do with them. And this is very, very critical because now a lot of properties are adapting to adventure parks and, you know, obstacle courses that are so challenging and, and create some excitement for them. So, yes, I, I mean, I was there with my, with my, my daughters when they were younger and, uh, you know, that tween age and we played laser tag. <laughs> There you well, go. There it, was, you it, go. Was a, it was an amazing uh, experience for us. And, you know, it, it just keeps everybody yes. busy and happy. So there's, there's never a lack of Absolutely. things to do. And just laying on the beach. I mean, the kids love the beach. Who doesn't love the beach? And we have the water in Jamaica is, is very shallow. So there's no deep edges that you, you can't uh, have the children around. So uh, the beaches are very shallow. Uh, you can walk out for, for a mile or so and to be at an average level of, of the water. And it's calm. It's not rough waters at all. It's right. totally calm. So it makes for a great day at the beach with the kids. They can build their sandcastle. They can enjoy the warm waters of the Caribbean. And also the great pools and, and swim-up bars that are in the hotels as well for the parents. You know? so, yeah. so let's talk a little bit then about, um, the, uh, we have a couple of minutes left, but I would really want to touch on uh, culinary and culture because these are very strong areas in Jamaica. And again, another draw to return again and again. Oh. It, it, our culinary diversity is amazing. I think there's no country uh, can claim simple jerk chicken that leaves a mouth-watering taste in your mouth for years to come, or, or beef patties. 
you know, and, and we, we can take you from a culinary experience in our, our more luxurious restaurants to a, just a hole in the wall, shack on the beach or a shack on the road that serves you some authentic Jamaican food. Um, or ackee and saltfish. This is a, a breakfast meal, but I eat it for lunch and dinner too. And, you know, it, it comprises of, of saltfish, which, which is actually from Canada. We, we got it from Canada. And we mix it with the, the, the national fruit, which is ackee. And it, it looks like scrambled egg, but combined together, it makes a delicious meal. But then you have some of the most experienced culinary chefs, chefs in Jamaica that will make you a sumptuous meal that is out of this world. There's, there's one place that I would say, um, if you want to have a bucket list experience where they do have um, farm to table, is Stush in the Bush. It's, it's in the St. Anne area. Um, this is a beautiful couple that have made a name for themselves. If you've ever wanted to experience something that is so authentic, I would say try that. Or many of our culinary uh, locations in Jamaica and also in the hotels because the hotels have their a la carte restaurants and we also have our true authentic Jamaican uh, dishes that are served anywhere on the island. You, well, you just added anywhere. a place for me that I have to go to now when I return, when I make it number 14. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, but yes. for people who are planning now, where is the best place for them to go to find out all the information about, you know, um, entry into your country, the new protocols? Yes. Where, where can they Absolutely. go? Absolutely. Because this is very important because there are new steps to get into Jamaica. So I would say go to visitjamaica.com. And you will get um, all the entry requirements. The, the most important one is now because of the COVID, we have established a travel uh, certification. It's a health travel certification that you do need to complete and submit it. It, it, it just gives us a screening of your exposure to COVID, where you've been in the last couple of, of months and um, your health status so that as a country we can understand your your health profile before coming into the island so this is very critical and you have to do this at least 72 hours before you travel for canadians and we will do a risk assessment because that's the basis on which we are operating right now uh, a risk assessment um, on island as well and it could include uh, a swab test, a COVID swab test, so uh, okay. a PCR test. So that those are some of the very, very important steps. So I would say visit jamaica.com slash travel authorization and everyone will have their, their information there to be prepared for travel. We have to be safe, we have to be seamless, and we have to be responsible. So we want to have a great holiday. Um, we want to make sure all the things are right before you travel. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Angela. I hope to soon come home. Come back soon, as we say. Soon come, man. All right. And today I wish you an iry day. And I look forward to showing you a new side of Jamaica when you get back on island. Thank you. Most parents will tell you that they wish they could have a better relationship with their teenagers. And you might be surprised to hear that your teen actually longs for that too. Allie Payne helps teens and parents bridge the gap so that they can have better conversations built on trust, respect, joy, and connection. Welcome to the show, Allie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you came to my attention. I watched a TikTok video. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> How did that happen? I mean, first off, I want to know, why, how did you get there and the teens didn't kick you out? Well, yeah, right? So I actually have a friend who is a social media influencer, and she said, Ellie, you got to get on TikTok. Like, you are TikTok. It, this is the space for your craziness, and because uh, I got a lot of that. And I went on it, and I you know, had a following of adults and moms, and then all of a sudden I did a video, and it was meant for 
parents and then teenagers took it over. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I thought it I thought it was so great and it really did. I think that's when you when we speak about bridging that connection, that's what that video really did. Um, yeah. so let's talk a little bit about um about teenagers right now and what you feel parents should really know. So just based on your intro alone, I find it surprising. So just to give people an idea, when I posted that video in the seven days following, I have had 4,500 new followers. And I will tell you the majority of those are teen girls. And I know that from watching the demographic of my account dramatically change. I've also had over 600 comments on that. And the most of those are saying, I long to have this conversation with my, with my parent or my mom or whatever. I long to have this, but I'm afraid to. They actually want to have a closer relationship. I know they're probably dishing some sass to you, but they want to have that relationship. They think you're going to get mad at them or uh, react in a way that is going to judge or uh, somehow hurt them. That's what they think. Yeah, you know, and, and it's hard as a parent, you know, sometimes your teens will tell you things. It is hard not to react. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> Preach it. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's stressful, right? I think it's we like all the duck on the water, like all calm. And then their feet are like, like my head's like, no, 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 no. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. But on the outside, I am cool and no problem. Yes. Right. And that's what we think we have to practice is that, you know, uh, we could call it a resting parenting face where you're yes. not showing <laughs> any reaction at all to what they're telling you. So true. That is absolutely true. You know, or if you do react, let it be really mild, not the, oh my gosh face or the, you did what? Like not that. So one of the things you talked about, you know, we recorded a longer podcast. I record, I, I encourage everybody to go over and listen to that because we got into some really good stuff, right? Uh, especially about parenting right now. Yes. Um, but you say parenting in the modern era is, is harder. So what do you mean by that? So this is, um, for the most part, it has to do with technology. Um, you know, you and I might have had a Discman or a Walkman, but it didn't bully us. You see, it was our hobby and it only played what we told it to play. So now take kids these days who are connected almost 24 seven in, in, I know that sounds like an exaggeration, but just by the nature of their device. And that device isn't just what song they want it to play. That device is a measure of what it means to be, quote, good, normal, perfect, lovable. All of these kind of twisted measures, because let's face it, they're, they're not true in its entirety. Um, they also are connecting kids to the global issues that they find very heavy and weighty and is not quite frankly something that a 13, I got 11 year olds messaging me that they should be worrying about that. Um, and it means access. It means that not just they can access people, but other people can access them all the time that shouldn't have that. I mean, you and I had to go to the wall and pick up a phone with a long curly pigtail cord and we were only connecting with who we wanted to. So it is a lot more challenging for kids these days. And to add on top of that, there's a whole lot of studies, but the number one is that a generation ago, there was 13% um, double income families. So there was a parent at home for the most part, regardless of quality, okay? There was a parent at home that was there to connect with, to make sure that their well-being was at least managed. Now, 83% of homes are double income because of increased financial stress. And so these kids have all of this information that they don't have the perspective to truly manage. And because as parents, we're just trying to manage our own, you know, paying for soccer and dance lessons and all the rest of it, we're not available as much. And I don't mean that as a moral judgment. We're just not available as much. And it is stressing our kids out. Right. So you know, especially right now during um, this pandemic, I feel like your business has probably exploded. So yes. where can people, <laughs> where can people find you who want to create those deeper connections with their teenagers? 
Absolutely. I recommend my website first. It's alipain.com, A-L-Y-P-A-I-N.com. Uh, you'll find everything about the group that I'm running, how to be a part of that over there. If you want to grab me on Facebook, it's Payne Straight Talk Fierce Love. And if you're in for a little bit of fun, kind of TikTok-y sort of crazy videos, you can check me out on Instagram, at Payne. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you'll come back. I mean, teens and parents, it's a classic dynamic. We could talk about it forever. It sure is. Yes. Thank you so much. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Belonging to any marginalized community is hard, but when your family belongs to several marginalized communities, the stress of all the isms and phobias can be a lot to deal with. Avi Magnuson is a black trans man who has been happily in love with his partner Lainey for 19 years. They are the proud parents of two adult daughters and two sons, age 13 and 10, who join their family through public adoption. Their blended multiracial family is often chaotic, but always a safe haven. Avi recently had his story published on the Huffington Post titled, What Fatherhood Means to a Trans Dad Raising Black Sons. Welcome to the show, Avi. Thanks very much, Candice. So I guess we'll just start with that question. Uh, What fatherhood means to you raising black sons? Well, you know, it's, there's the gift part of it that is just so wonderful and watching these boys grow. And there's the terror part of it, which is having black sons in this world at this time. Um, So I think it's this, it's trying to um, celebrate the joy, especially around them um, and deal with the fear away from them because I want their childhood to be as carefree as it can be for a young black boy in 2020. How are you explaining this moment in time to them? So we do talk about what's happened. We have talked about, you know, George Floyd, we talked about that a lot. Um, And we said that there is a lot of hate in the world and that there are people who will make assumptions about who you are because of the color of your skin. And sometimes those people have the power to really hurt you. Um, So then we do the talk about what to do in terms of police. Um, But it's hard. I don't know how much they understand. Um, It's very important for me that they do because both of them have um, um, uh, disabilities that will put them in contact with the police. So it's very important. It's very important for me that they know this because... I, I don't want to bury my children. Yeah. And your, your children, just so people uh, know, we recorded a longer podcast and I encourage people to go listen to that, but it's important for our listeners to know in this segment that your one son has autism and your other son has fetal alcohol syndrome, Yes, which prevents them, I suspect, from being able to have, um, you know, fully comprehend what would be happening or to maybe not have the, um, the tools to have the dialogue that would be needed. Correct. Right. right. So they, if they are overwhelmed, they often um, have big uh, explosive kind of um, emotions. Uh, They won't remember things. So the stuff that I've told them, they won't remember. Um, One of the younger son, when he's afraid, he gets very angry. Like, so that's how his fear and anxiety manifests. So he will get mouthy and he will be defiant and he will, um, and that's not read as anxiety, right? It might be read as anxiety with, a different person, but it won't be read as anxiety with him. So those are the things. And I mean, statistically, kids on the spectrum or who have FASD come into contact with law enforcement much more often than their neurotypical peers do. Right. So as a trans black man, um, you know, you have obviously dealt with a lot of, um, of the phobias and the isms over the years, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so in the role that you play, you work for the Toronto District School Board. I do. Uh, so tell me about that role and how 
you know, being a trans black man helps you in that role? So I work in the gender-based violence prevention program at the TDSB and we, myself and my colleague, Alana David, we do a lot of uh, PD, uh, professional development for staff in the area of sexual and gender diversity. So as someone who is a black trans man, I use my own experience to help inform staff because for many staff, they've never met someone who's out in trans. Um, I say to them, ask me all your questions, get all your questions out, ask me. So you don't have to ask, you know, a student in your class or someone else. Um, I say there are no bad questions, but if you're using language that's, you know, um, transphobic or whatever, I'm going to help you correct that. Um, so I think it's for me being professionally queer is what I call it. Um, I, I get to be an example and I think I get to be a place where people can deal with some of their fear and anxiety. So, and, and that's okay. Right. So it's your, your safe person to come to when you have questions obviously, or concerns. So what do you see uh, the future looking like for this program in a post-COVID world? Well, I don't know, because no one knows what the school year is going to look like in September. My hope is we will somehow be able to be in real life with the young people we work with, um, and even doing the trainings, although we could do those online. But I really, you know, I really have always felt that having two people to cover a school board that has, I don't know, 250,000 students is a lot. Um, and certainly we could use, the school board's divided into four sections and we could use at least one person in each section doing this because then you get connected to the schools and the staff and you know, you're available as opposed to doing triage, which is what it feels like. You know, there's a crisis at one school because they're doing an overnight trip and what do they do with the trans kid and where do they sleep? Um, and sometimes that means that you don't get to do a training or you don't get to meet with a student who's just coming out and is afraid to, you know, talk to their parents. So, yeah, right. we need more of us is what we need. <laughs> yes, you do. And I, I, I agree. We talked a little bit about that as well, uh, more in depth. But if people want to um, show their support or, you know, encourage the, uh, the school board to, you know, broaden this program, what do you suggest? I mean, I say start at the top. You can talk to the director of education, talk to your school trustee, um, talk to your school principal. Um, like, I think that there has to be someone who's more than us saying this program needs more people and we need, we, we need to be focusing on this in a particular way. So, you know, school trustees are always a good place to start. MPs and MPs, MPPs, they're always good places to go. So, okay. Yeah. okay. Avi, I thank you so much for joining me to share just a little bit, a tiny bit of your story. It is very, uh, you know, uh, it's a big story. So <laughs> I encourage people to go read the Huffington Post article. We're going to link to it when we share this video on Great. social. But thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Candice. It was wonderful. That's it for What She Said for this week. Be sure to follow me on What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Also, please subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts with Allie Payne and Abby Magdeson. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.